0: Welcome, my friends, to uh, another episode of your life, or at least the part of your life where you uh, listen to podcasts. So here's a little tune, 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 one of the above. Let me know if you know what It is. Don't let me know what that is if you're Mark McGlue, because obviously he knows what it is, because he's a thorough hippo. He knows these things. So um, today we're going to talk about history. So who here knows the gist of what happened in human history? hmm Most people I meet don't seem to. Uh, I don't know everything, but I studied history at university, and I, I'm interested in history. So... And Wikipedia has existed since I was a teenager, so I kind of started figuring stuff out out of curiosity, as you do, if you're interested. So um, I'm going to give you today the overview of what happened. You should probably know that, no? (laughs) It's interesting anyway. Maybe you already know, but um, refresher to refresh your memory, Um, I'm going to pop in little details you you may or may not be aware of, um, and just kind of uh, thoughts I've had about history and very interesting. Like, I think there's a lot of little interesting kind of insights and little uh, nooks and crannies in the topic of history. Um, basically, it's the story of life, the story of humanity. Your own life story is probably the most interesting thing thing to you. Um, the story of your family is probably very interesting. The story of your people. Um, if you're in a newer country like Australia, shout out to Australia, then maybe, you know, that, that story – is a story of many stories coming together. But all of our stories go back to, you know, Africa, don't they, right? The, or back to space, depending on who you believe. Maybe both. Um, and so, you know, we're all part of this long story called history. And in the previous podcast, number seven, shout out to the previous podcast. Can I do that? Ramses? Yeah? Oh, thank God, Jesus. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so... Um, Yeah. So in the previous podcast about awakening, I was talking about the oneness of all things and how everything is basically one. And So the crazy thing is history is just one big story and it's just one big snowball effect from the big bang onwards. It's kind of like the visible spectrum of light. You know, the rainbow, that's like um, just a tiny um, bandwidth within Tiny band of um, vibration from what is so it, ultraviolet to infrared, or the other way around, um, red to purple. Roy G. Biv coming in hot. Um, so, yeah, like, a, and then that's out of the electromagnetic spectrum, which is vast. There's microwaves, there's, you know, like uh, radio waves, um, electricity. This is all uh, electromagnetism. Uh, we only see a little part of it. History is kind of like that, I, I guess. Uh, whereby there's a huge uh, stream of cause and effect coming from the very creation of everything um, up to the formation of the planet. We don't call that history, really. We call it the history of the universe, sure, cosmology, maybe. Um, and then we have prehistory, where we don't have records of it. So even hum- the history of the human race, um, what we would call history would be from when we started writing. We, we kind of remember what's been happening. Um, Oral traditions, there are oral histories where people have kept, you know, by word of mouth passing it down through the generations. Of course, that can get mixed in with mythology, then, whereby maybe they're making things up, you know, that kind of mythology, like that. Uh, oh, we just create some cool stories and maybe they teach us something. So, or um, as say, you know, um, believe evolutionary psychologists kind of talk about, like, or at least Jordan Peterson does. I mean, I don't know <laughs> um, how uh, the, uh, myth uh, can be a condensation or a distillation of the essential, most important features of many, many, many stories. So say you have a, a, you know, a thousand or 10,000 stories through thousands of years of your people's history, they will get the only the essential feature, the most relevant, important, practical, the important um, features will be remembered. And stories which are similar will get amalgamated into the same thing someone repeats a story it's very similar to what happened a thousand years before but there's one extra detail that's wow that's really yeah that's very deep isn't it that gets added to the previous story so there's mythology building up as well um in the in terms of a condensation of what actually happened um however it's very without written records it's hard to know what's actually real right um although you could say of course it's true in a deeper sense of it uh it's a tells you about the human condition and human nature and that's predictive of what's going to happen in the future or what is happening now, you know. Um, nonetheless, so we have mythology, um, but history proper, we would kind of say from uh, the dawn of literacy, reading and writing. Um, so, um, and then who knows, you know, say we all get, get blown to smithereens. Uh, hopefully not. Don't worry. The soul is immortal. Um, and even if it wasn't, what, would, what good would worrying do you? Um, let me know in the comments what good worrying does you. Um, uh, now, uh, you know, the universe will go on after us if we were to disappear, um, or if humans were to disappear. Consciousness, I don't believe, would be able to disappear. So I think it's everything. Um, this has got nowhere to go. <laughs> uh, where are you going to go? Detroit? Uh, South Park, beautiful. Um, all right. So anyway, so history, we're going to talk about history. I'm going to give you a uh, brief overview of what, what's happened. What did I miss? okay it's going to be basically based on europe because that's the history i know best and um i would argue that ha- with the history which has influenced the global history the most to date um and uh so i'm going to talk about that but i'm going to uh, to my the limit of my ability um include the rest of the world and general stuff what's been what happened um so after this podcast you will be able to say if someone says all right sit me down tell me what happened you'll be, be able to hopefully, uh, say, all right, in a nutshell, this is what happened. Um, after that, I'm going to also kind of talk about how and why things change in history. What are the basic principles? Because, again, it's all kind of one flow of just, it's just history. However, there are certain principles or, like, you know, factors we could talk about which are very useful for analyzing history and understanding why things happen, have happened, and, you know, where we've been, where we're going, you know, the factors which are at play still. Um, and yep so that's the you know, how to how to research history how to know what's you know actually legit and what's just you know history being written by the victors you know and like uh so um and also very juicy after that uh uh going to get get into some stuff that um basically history i would predict I'm on the internet making the prediction uh, other people have already made the prediction but i will sign up to that say uh, history the discipline of history is going through a revolution and in the holes of academia it's not yet being allowed in very much because if you try to write your phd on this subject or even write essays on it when you're a you know people have received very bad grades for essays where they wrote on this topic um in the bachelor's degree at history uh, in you know uh, the faculty of history where it was like a good essay based on evidence but Mm, that sounds crazy to our worldview, our paradigm. So no, we're going to shut that down. Snip that in the bud, right? So try to do a PhD on that. It's quite difficult. So the fact is academics can be wonderful, but everyone's got their ego. You know, we're all only human. So point being, there is a massive revolution in history in what happened before any of the recognized civilizations of, of what I'm going to be talking about first. Of conventional history um, and there's very good reason to think and I'm going to give you the evidence that there was indeed um, at least one civilization advanced civilization earlier than Egypt and Sumeria um, so we don't know what they called themselves but it has had various names and we you probably know it already one of them most popular the Greek one um, ah, ah, ah. okay so we will get into it now so the overview all right so about um, 10,000 years ago-ish, right, um, agriculture was invented. Um, so that's, if you have 100 people who live to 100, or people who live to 100, right, um, what is that? 100 of those guys or gals back, 100 centenarians back. So it's actually a long time, but in a way, it's not really that long, right? You can imagine 100 people in a room. Imagine 100-year-olds. 100, 100 now, they're all born at the same time, given that they're in the same room. But if you said, "Okay, tell me the story of your life." Okay, now you tell me the story of your life. All those streams of experience, that's how much experience we're talking about 10,000 years ago. So in a way, it's not actually such a huge distance. But it is. It's a paradox, right? Okay, so 10,000 years ago, agriculture was invented. Taking little seeds of, you know, basically uh now, I might mess up some details, but this is the gist, all right. And it's going to be an overview, so um, forgive me for any errors I make. Uh, so we have sowing wild, grasses, basically grain is a type of grass, right? Um, we re- realized, oh, we can sow these little seeds in the ground and grow edible food. We don't need to be running around hunting and gathering the whole time, which can be a great. They are actually very they were healthier than the the agricultural societies. The hunter gatherers um, were, if they have good you know territories in general they are healthier actually um even in like the 1800s the native americans were far healthier as uh, uh than the the white um settled society um bread's just not as nutritious as like hunted um bovine animals and um e- eggs and vegetables or whatever if you if you've got a fertile territory that you're moving around in um some uh the book tribe by Johan something, uh, talked about that, the the Native American and um, very uh, interesting topic. So you could look that up if you want. Now, um, so nonetheless, uh, the being able to be in one place and just plant lots of crops and start, um, you know, I guess, I don't know if they're growing, um, you know, uh, conventional like plants or fruit trees, orchards around the same time, I'm not sure. But definitely um, grains began to be grown around 12,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago. Um, And uh, I I suppose um, cows or milk and beef are probably doing around the same time. Um, And this exploded around in the kind of fertile crescent area. So kind of the Middle East kind of got Egypt, Holy Land, um, modern day Iraq, that kind of area, Uh, maybe the uh, southern regions of Turkey or Syria, that kind of thing so the you got the euphrates and tigris rivers in iraq um then just the eastern shore, shore of the mediterranean um holy land and then you got you know the nile river with egypt so these kind of areas saw the development the rise of civilization um and you can keep all the food in one area so that allows you to go okay you know um uh you can still have people hunting, but maybe the lower class people aren't getting as good a nutritious a diet if they're just eating bread or whatever. But uh, you know, if you have enough wealth, you can have still have that hunting and gathering going on. You can still have your raising animals. So you know, probably the upper classes were in general fine and healthy. Anyway, the point is they were able to, um, to gather their wealth, and if you have, you can store grain, right? If you're hunter gatherer, you can't store wealth more than one a few days, then the meat goes off, right? So it's a different society, but when you can store food, then you can start to go, all right, I have my store of food. You there, you're going to be um, a builder. You just need to build. I want you to build all day, um, every day. Your kids will be builders. Da, da, da. Uh, you, you're going to get very good at building. And um, I'm going to pay, I'm going to give you all the food you need. I just want you to build. Like, Sounds like a deal. Great. I love building. I'm good at it. Um, and you, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And, or people saying, Hey, I want to do this. Maybe I do this in my spare time and start bartering for grain. And then people have the grain because they're farming. And so you can be a craftsperson um, or you can do whatever it is, um, specialize in something. So the agricultural revolution gave rise to the development of uh, trades, um, industry, cottage industry, um, and development of uh, architecture and um, larger structures and cities, essentially. So, and then, you know, you have a bunch of cities, maybe one of the cities in the area is on a a bit better location for some reason, you know, the natural, uh, the, there's greater resources in the area. It gets bigger. The other cities can go there. And when they need extra stuff, they can't get, make themselves, they go there, you have trade. So you have cities developing, some of them, you know, kind of bigger cities being the city's city, you know, they can go there if they, they need what they can't get in their own city. And likewise, people, nomads, hunter-gatherers, or people in villages, kind of on the outskirts of you know the civilization, they can take trips to the smaller cities to get whatever they need. Um, and so you have this dissemination of um, proje- pro- uh, produce products, right? Um, pottery being made, all this kind of stuff, right? So this was on the backbone of the agricultural revolution. Um, now, so that goes on for a while. And uh, then uh, (laughs) it goes on for a while. Very, very specific. Um, And then, uh, so the, the oldest civilizations uh, would be Egypt, ancient Egypt, Sumeria, um, or Sumer, um, which was in modern day Iraq, um, and um, turned into Mesopotamia, the land between the rivers um, and yeah, eventually, I guess I believe Assyria turned into, um, but it went through you know many different iterations. People taking over, changing, da da da. Um, eventually, you know, it was part of the Persian Empire and Alexander the Great's Empire. But but the point being, these are the oldest places, like uh, you know the modern day Iraq and Egypt. Um, also, very ancient would be India, the uh, Indus Valley civilization. So on the kind of northwest of India, also China, very ancient. Um, so I think like they're all around similar time, I believe. Um, now, the, in, the, in the West, right, the focus of this, what I know most about. So uh, Egypt um, very mysteriously starts off really amazing and, uh, and kind of over time seems to decline, which we'll talk about as um, it's, you know, there's reason to think they were kickstarted. Civilization was kick-started there by refugees from a previous um previously unknown civilization um similar thing seems to have happened in a few other places or potentially all of these places so but uh egypt so conventional view would be about 5000 years ago 2000 to 3000 years bc or bce um egypt dynastic egypt appears you know pyramid building blah 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 um and similar stuff in uh sumeria um then uh the uh the the ancient greeks they used to send people to egypt to study um so the great you know um philosophers and mathematicians etc f- from greece which we tend to h- learn about in history class or like maths class or whatever it is um as the founders of western civilization they were actually going to egypt already um for studying and in commerce and many things but uh Egypt was essentially the mother civilization. It was the equivalent of someone from somewhere in the world, a developing country, going to the USA or going to Europe or something to study. I um, think these people are more established, there's a greater network of knowledge and industry and et cetera, prosperity. Uh, so I'm going to go there, reap, you know, reap those uh, fruits and bring them home to where I'm from and sow the seeds. Uh, here and um, so that's what was happening in greece and so greece began to rise as a civilization as egypt was kind of declining um and uh under many pressures military um climate change crises you know many times in e- e- egyptian history is thousands of years long you know like america the united states of america is like 200 and what 250 years old so th- uh thousands of years old 4000 years 3000 years long time so in there there were many crises and eventually it started to um, crumble um, and the Greeks even took it over uh, under Alexander the Great who conquered most of the known world at that time um, he took control of Egypt and um, so Greek speakers actually there was a quite a long time where all of the Middle East where now it's you know Arabic speakers and Muslim societies there were all Greek speakers there were all these Greek colonies all over the place and as far as India Alexander the Great got to India um so persia you know afghanistan uh, all these places you had like greek basically societies uh to a greater or lesser extent um you know some of them maybe afghanistan it might have just been the the ruling class were greek for a bit um but you had legitimate huge um greek uh, numbers of greek speaking communities um around the the middle east for quite a while and you know the, the rest of the mediterranean so greece then um the Roman Empire started developing after Greece. So, it was the Roman Republic. They had a Senate, and, you know, it was an oligarchical kind of thing. So, the kind of established uh, ruling families, wealthy families, they were the ones who were able to be part of the Senate. The plebeians, or the plebs, they um, they they weren't patricians. They were the lower class. They weren't allowed you know, to control it. So, it was a limited type of democracy. Similar thing in Greece. Greek Greece had um, slaves, um, but uh, they weren't allowed to be citizens. But the the free people you know at least the landowners um I'm not sure exactly what were the rules uh they were um they had some form of democracy in Greece where there were collective decision making um so and I'm not going to get into the details of what these civilizations did or achieved but you know just the basic sweep of what happened so you have Greece then Rome starts to grow there's a lot of tr- you know trade between Rome and Greece da da, da exchange of ideas Rome uh, under Julius Caesar becomes an empire. Technically, I guess under his, um, adopted son, Octavian or, or Augustus, it becomes, um, becomes, a, an actual empire, but Julius Caesar was essentially a dictator, um, de facto dictator, right? Um, even though not legally, I suppose, um, who is a, yeah, the dictator, he wasn't, he was the de facto emperor. Essentially he was an emperor. Um, so, and by that point, they, the Roman empire had conquered Greece, um, and so, you, you know, they have North Africa, Spain, a lot of, uh, you know, like Fran- modern day France or all of that, I believe by the time most of it, at least uh, by the time Julius Caesar died, um, all down, you know, through the Balkans uh, and the Greece, there's you know, I'm not exactly sure. And, and Turkey and the Holy Land and Egypt, all of this around that time, you know, kind of becomes part of the Roman empire and you have the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Which lasted for about, well, I think, quite a long time, a thousand years or something, where the Roman Empire basically, you know, they eliminated all the competition, and so, and they were pretty ruthless. The Romans, I mean, to be fair, they're very organized, um, very capable. To some, in some, um, to some degree, you could think of them as the the precursors to our modern civilization because they were very um, orderly and uh, intellectually obsessed. Um, which is quite, I would characterize our culture as rather along those lines, Um, you know, uh, more like, um, all more head than heart, you know? Um, And so, but they did some great things uh, while they were slaughtering people, you know, and doing all these terrible stuff. Um, They did nonetheless, you know, do some legitimately amazing stuff. Um, And so under that piece where, okay, basically the, you're not you're not wasting energy on wars um there's a, a huge an enormous flourishing of uh, civilization um uh, within under the wing of the, the roman military monopoly over the mediterranean um, and so at this time you know africa s- similar thing you'd have uh, societies developing from the tribal nomadic societies to kind of settled societies but maybe still quite tribal tribally linked um, and then turning into kingdoms, you know, where it's more some abstract sense of, you know, okay, the kingdom and I serve, I serve this leader and we are part of this state that we have created together. Um, and, you know, in you know India and China, similar things. Um, the Americas, I believe, too. Similar things basically happen. I don't know the details there, but basically a similar thing to the Middle East and, and Europe where you have the, the rise of these nation, uh, well, not nation states, but kingdoms. Where you have a ruling family, um, and the state, which is kind of partly them, partly like their, but it's it's more than just the the family, right? It, this the the state has, as an abstract idea has developed, and the empire, the kingdom, and then you know one one dynasty of you know king or emperor and their kids and their kids kids etc. When one of them gets whacked, or um, not with a gun, of course, but. Um, or they just don't have enough children, or whatever. Then another family would take over, and that's a new dynasty, but the same kingdom or empire, right? And so you would have this these kind of abstract entities of empires, kingdoms, kind of continuing. Um, so now the so that's we got to the Roman Empire, right? And uh, eventually, you know, the Roman Empire starts to get a bit sluggish, you know, kind of decadent, and you know, uh, maybe. A bit out of touch with um the the harsh realities of um what human beings can do when they are not comfortable and their basic needs aren't provided for so you have these uh societies of um largely like very fierce warrior societies um or societies where their warrior class are very fierce um who knows what else was going on in their societies um maybe they had a lot of softness there i don't know um, but you have what we would traditionally call barbarians coming across Europe um, beyond the borders of the Roman empire, the Roman empire. It never took over Ireland, although Christianity came to Ireland um, from the Romans, but um, it got, you know, halfway up into Scotland. And that's where Hadrian's wall was built. So they had Roman Britain and um, uh, I guess maybe France. I don't modern Belgium. I Don't know if that was part of the Roman Empire, but somewhere around there would be the boundary. Um, And then, or the Netherlands, maybe. And, but probably not, I think. I think that was just Germanic, you know, beyond the pale kind of area. Um, And part of Germany, they tried to go into Germany and they got chopped up badly in the Juterberg forests. There's some, look it up, some battle where the Romans, they had a huge army and they went into Germany in the forests and they just never came back. They they, uh, just got, you know, chopped to smithereens by um, these um, Germanic tribes who appeared out of the woods out of nowhere. And uh, yeah, so they were like, all right, maybe we'll just keep our boundaries and stop expanding big enough anyway. So a part of Germany, um, well, I believe the Rhine, the river Rhine in the west of Germany was on border. And then kind of the Danube, I think was another border kind of going through Austria and down through Eastern Europe. So, um, and then, but all of Greece, modern day Turkey, that was a part of the Roman empire. So, these barbarians are coming over and starting to incur, you know, have incursions um, where they're breaking through into, you know, and stealing stuff, attacking people. You can imagine what, what other things, a bunch of um, violent men might want to do. Um, And uh, so they're going in and doing this and to pillaging and whatever Um, the uh, Roman settlements and Rome's trying to fight them off and blah, 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 that goes on for a long time. At some point, Rome finds, okay, it's too big. We're just going to split the empire in two. So they have the Eastern Empire and the Western Empire, and they each run by separate emperors. Um, And uh, then uh, the Eastern Empire continues longer than the Western one. Actually, it becomes what we call the Byzantine Empire or Byzantine Empire, Byzantium. So um, the Western Empire goes on fighting eventually around the year 500, I think 456 or something like that um it collapses it's overrun by basically a germanic tribe some uh or more or less like i think some uh, warlord who was working for the romans turned on them um and uh overran rome sacks the city and and uh the basically i don't know what happened to the emperor there um but the, it, it collapsed the the political entity just couldn't take the weight and it was Lost its organizational nexus and uh, it was taken over by these Germanic tribes, um, uh, quote unquote barbarians. And um, so they took over France, Germ- um, Germany, um, Italy, Spain, North Africa, the whole joint, right? The Western Empire. Um, and these later would become the medieval states, the Middle Ages, the kingdoms um, of medieval Europe. But uh, so. In the East, the empire continues and actually lasts another thousand years. So after the fall of the Roman empire around the year 500, which is basically the beginning of the middle ages um, that you have the classical world ending and the the middle ages or medieval period beginning, that's the fall of the Roman empire. Um, That's actually just the Western empire. The Eastern empire continued another thousand years till 1453, I think. Um, And uh, you know, uh, they did a lot, you know, and made a lot of advances in kinds of stuff but um and then eventually they, they shrank the eastern empire from controlling all of egypt and you know the holy land and um syria and turkey and greece and up through the balkans to part of turkey and greece and part of the balkans to just just the area around constantinople um which is what uh now called istanbul right um part of now it was conquered by the turks eventually, 1453, and then um, became part of the, the Islamic empire, of the, the Ottoman empire. And so that, and then the Ottoman empire, so around what, 600 AD, I think, um, you have the, you know, the Islamic, the Muslim religion um, appears and um, they start spreading through military conquest. Um, they, you know, in the time of you know, Muhammad, they do that and then continues after his death, um, you know, conquering lands and spreading the religion. And so that goes up through all the North Africa um, goes east through Persia. So it was Zoroastrianism was their religion. Islam kind of takes over. Um, and you have, uh, uh, and of course, you know, ends up getting um, to uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan and India, you know, Islam spreads and all through eventually Islam will spread down through Southeast Asia. Um, but uh, but the Islamic empire itself kind of, you know, gets up to basically Austria, the gates of, you know, up through a lot of Europe conquered. Um, and, uh, but then I believe they were fighting the kingdom of Austria or the Holy Roman empire. I think it was called at the time and um, they suffered a big defeat. And so they, they retreated and they never quite came back that way. So that kind of in Spain, the Islamic empire did kind of go uh, and take control. I think of all of Spain, and then you have the reconquista, where christian kingdoms uh, knights you know conquered and um like or kind of retook um that that the iberian peninsula of portugal and spain for you know christian civilization christendom right um because it had had been christian under the romans right they kind of reconquered it so to speak um and uh so if we talk about like western europe so uh you have the, you know, 500 AD-ish, the Roman Empire falls, and you have all these Germanic tribes. You have the Franks, they're one tribe. You have the, the Visigoths and the Ostrogoths. Um, you have, you know, other ones I can't remember. And they're all, they go around, they basically take lands um, off of what was the Romans. And in some area er- you know, they uh, basically settle down and t- um, create their own little societies. Um, so they, uh, um, turn, you know, the Franks turn into France, France, um, and uh, you have the, you know, the Goths, et cetera, t- um, turning into other kingdoms of Western Europe. Um, and so around the year 800 you have Charlemagne, Charles the Great, Charlemagne, um, uh he becomes, he's crowned the emperor of the West. So basically he had conquered, um, he had controlled, I think, All of France, modern-day France, part of Spain or all of Spain, part of Italy, I think northern Italy, um, maybe down as far as Rome, I'm not sure, Um, and Germany, um, I think all of modern-day Germany, maybe even part of modern-day Denmark. So um, the Low Countries, I believe he'd conquered. So he's like, all right, yeah, we've got another empire in the West. Cool. So... um, and. it was called the Holy Roman Empire. So it's not the Roman Empire. It's actually a different thing, but, you know, branding the Holy Roman Empire. So, and it's Christian. So they have the spiritual, so to speak, power um, in Rome. You have the Catholic church, which had been developing, you know, from the times of the Roman Empire. Constantine had converted the whole empire to Christianity, essentially, Um, and uh, slowly but surely Christianity was, you know... it over pretty yeah after there was a lot of persecution of the christians under the, the roman original roman quote unquote pagan gods um but uh, eventually christianity was adopted and they you know started persecuting the, the pagans right and so um the roman empire is christian by the time it fell and uh then christianity remained in medi- what became medieval europe the dark ages or middle ages and so the holy roman empire was basically a bunch of different kings. You have local kings and kingdoms, and they would elect their leader. They would elect the emperor. They would vote together. And so you have the Holy Roman Empire. Now, France kind of broke off from that. I'm not sure how, really, or when, but um, that became the kingdom of France. And then you had the Holy Roman Empire. It was Germany and Italy. So that's basically that. And that goes on for hundreds of years. Um, you have wars between the European states. Um, England, very quickly, um, the the Vikings from Scandinavia had been you know kind of harassing all of Europe and pillaging um, the kind of settled areas. Um, Ireland had, um, as mentioned, Christianity had um, made its way to Ireland, and so therefore had literacy, um, reading and writing in ancient Greek and Latin. And uh, monasteries were established in Ireland, and it merged with the Druidry, the the local uh, kind of nature worshipping. Um, pagan you could call it um religion um and uh it, um flourished there and there was uh this is you know where you get the the term the the land of saints and scholars for ireland because there's a long time when ireland was the only part of western europe where there was general literacy um everywhere else the dark ages essentially people lost the knowledge of reading and writing and many advanced uh, professions because There was a collapse of the civilization. And this is something we'll talk about later for our own own situation. It is that there's a danger where you get so advanced that you become top heavy, where you're focusing on more and more advanced skills, but you don't realize that the trunk of the tree, you need to be thickening that trunk. The more branches you have up the top, the thicker that trunk needs to get. And for example, if one solar flare came from the sun, a big solar flare, like that electromagnetic whatever that is, that, that energy, that um, pulse of magnetism would fry our whole electrical grid. And, uh, you know, we don't have backup systems prepared for that. There's no system for making that ride be fun. We'd be in big trouble. The military would have to be deployed. People would have to be told to stay in their homes. Uh, oh, wait, uh, sounds familiar. Um, but given, you know, certain hot topics at the moment, that probably wouldn't be too fun. A lot of people would be skeptical of what's going on um, and wondering whether it really was a natural event or whether we'd just been shut down. But nonetheless, so that's that, that'd that be an example of how uh, we would be in big trouble, like food shortages, energy shortages, how would communication, how would we talk to each other? The government, it's all based upon you know sending emails and phones. What if none of that works? We have to go back to writing letters. That adaptive, adapting to that would be very difficult. And so for all our advancement in a way we need to be humble and realize it wouldn't take much to set us back to the stone age. Um, And so similar, that's basically what happened to Rome. Um, And uh, Ireland was the part where they had very, you know, Rome hadn't invaded and taken over, but they had the right next to the Roman empire and there was nothing. It was just the Atlantic ocean on one side, the Roman empire on the other. Right. And so they, Um, Preserved the the knowledge of um, the the literacy that had bloomed through the Roman Empire and those traditions, while it was also being maintained in the East um, in the Byzantine Empire. But um, so, and Ireland then um eventually you know started building monasteries the Irish in uh, Scotland and England and Belgium and France and all over the place and spreading colonizing with literacy, basically spreading Christianity, but also spreading. Um, knowledge of, of, you know, reading and writing and all all the knowledge that reading and writing was the vessel for, the philosophy, the, the medicine, the political um, science or the history of what's been happening. Um, and so this was spread th- through the Irish. Um, and that was part of the development out of the Dark Ages into, you know, kind of the high med- medieval era where, um, and general flourishing, um, the people... In the cathedral building, it was uh, favourable weather conditions, and society was coming up. Um, p- prosperity, the basic um, organisation of society was improving. The Vikings come in and throw a, f- a wrench in the works, and they start, you know, basically um, causing a lot of, causing a lot of problems and just you know, killing people, raping people, burning down um, everything, and taking control. Or what they do is ask for a Dane guild. What the Danes did anyway. Um, saying basically give us a bunch of treasure and it you was know, extortion money or else we're, you know, we're going to attack you. And so that happened for a while. Eventually they took over England. They also took over Northern France, the descendants of those Vikings, the French King was eventually like, Hey, one group of Vikings, I will get let you keep uh, uh, Northern France. You will be the Duke of Normandy. If you, you fight off those other fricking Vikings who keep attacking us, right? And so this group, Rollo, the Viking, and his kind of followers, like, yeah, that sounds like a sweet deal. And so they became, um, pretty sure that's exactly a direct quote. Yo, that's a pretty sweet deal, man. Um, I know, they're speaking Norse, but that's what they said. It's incredible. Um, so, And then they, after a few generations of being the Dukes of Normandy, they're kind of taking over little areas around in Normandy, being pretty warlike, funnily enough, you know, who they're given their ancestry. And um, eventually they uh, invaded England um, and uh, you had a Norwegian king trying to, the, what, the king of England died. You've got the, the local Anglo-Saxons elect um, there uh, who, were, <laughs> who were descended from the Angles and the Saxons who were Germanic tribes from like Northwest Germany and Southern Denmark. They had moved over when the Romans left Britain because they're like, oh, the empire is getting stretched thin. They pulled out. Before the empire collapsed, they pulled out from Britain. And so you have these uh, Angles and Saxons coming into um, Britain. And that's where we get the term Anglo-Saxon. There's a mix of these two Germanic tribes. They have seven kingdoms, seven Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. Um, and uh, eventually they're all conquered by Vikings, except for one, Wessex, in the west of uh, England, <clears throat> where Alfred the Great, the only English king to ever be called the Great, um, he was the one who managed to not be conquered by the Vikings and um, control the Southwest of England. Eventually his sons, his son would be, I think Etherred is it was called the first King of England. Um, similar to Julius Caesar, Al- uh, Alfred the great was basically the first King of England, but technically not. Um, and so they, those Anglo-Saxons, they reconquered and eventually of the Anglo-Saxon kingdom of England. It's one kingdom um, took over everything else whereas previously you'd had Northumberland and Mercia and Essex and Sussex, et cetera, different kingdoms. Um, so uh, they, uh, you know, he reconquers recon- these Viking kingdoms. At some point, uh, 1066, um, the king of uh, uh, Edward the Confessor dies. Maybe it might have been the year before. And then you have the king, uh, Harold Hardrada from uh, uh, Norway, wants to take over, reassert Viking control. Um, local Anglo Saxons elect their own king Harold Godwinson to take over. Um, Duke of Normandy is like Nah, man, I'm gonna. I've been promised this by Edward the Confessor. Don't know why he would do that, but apparently that was the case. Um, so they all go in. The up, the upshot is um, the uh, the Vikings defeated by the Anglo Saxons. The Anglo Saxons march straight down to meet the Normans coming in at the south, and that you know the Normans win and they take over england and so that, that's where you know there's a lot of french in, in english because the kings of england were speaking french for a couple hundred years that was their first language they started learning english as a second language um and uh eventually french became the second language um <clears throat> and so they uh that's where you know england that was, that was the situation of england through medieval era they eventually conquer ireland alas um and well, i guess some good things came from that but Probably, I would go out on a limb and say, mostly it was probably a negative, uh, for civilization and spiritual flourishing of the planet. But um, who's to say? The Zen master says, we shall see. Who knows? I guess it's created a good story anyway. Um, despite suffering. So, um, and uh, you have Ireland kind of pushing back into English for eight hundred years, um, and uh, you know, give and take goes back and forth quite a bit. Um, the English kind of. Um, Keep control Um, uh, until um, nineteen, well, nineteen twenty-ish, when the um, uh, Irish—I should know this. Was it nineteen twenty-one? I think uh, the Free State was announced, so the Irish have a a war of independence and get rid of the English. But all right. So back to so the medieval era. We have all these kingdoms. They keep developing. Eventually, uh, you have the Renaissance around fifteen hundred-ish. And that's the rebirth, the Renaissance. So all the massive increase of interest and capacity for the arts, and uh, in Europe, so in Italy, with the you know the Medici family, etc., kind of patronising um, the arts, so giving money and funds, etc., for artistic works, and a renewal in, of interest in um, Roman philosophy and Greek philosophy, and all this sort of stuff. And um, so society becomes you know more conscious more start developing intellectually and culturally or artistically and this you know happened in france and england all over the, of europe right you have the renaissance um that kind of turned into the early modern period right where you start getting more technology like guns and you know people blowing up castles with cannons and whatnot um and you uh i guess that will be even late medieval period that was happening um and uh you know the age of men Kind of have the age of discovery where europeans were you know quite developed um they've got uh of course there was a black death in the middle of you know the medieval era which kind of reset them quite a bit um climate problems the uh, drop in the temperature significant drop uh um harvests failed people's immune systems got damaged um you know very you know they were malnourished and then disease swept through and took a lot of them out that seems the most plausible explanation for what happened But nonetheless, Europe had been overall, you know, on this upward trajectory through a combination of uh, naval technology, good quality ships and uh, guns, gunpowder, Portugal and Spain kind of spread around the world, kind of take over a lot of places. The Dutch copy them after a while and start building their own empires. Um, So you take the land off the the natives, you make them give you taxes, you you start growing sugar and things like that in the fertile land, which is stuff you couldn't grow in Europe. You sell it back to the European population, make a lot of money, reinvest that in more ships, keep expanding the empire, that kind of thing. Slavery, slave trade, um, which was happening all around the world. Right, It wasn't just in Europe. Um, The Islamic world was doing it uh, all through Africa. They were enslaving each other and people would kidnap people and sell them to other parts of Africa, um, Asia, although North America, South America, slavery was the norm for a long time Um, and indeed still exists today, unfortunately. Um, uh so although at least the prevailing view is that it's wrong which is good at least right um so uh whereas it was just accepted back then so these empires develop and over hundreds of so 1500 1600 1700s european empires are expanding england uh starts a bit later than the others and and france um but i think 1600 they've got jamestown um in uh virginia which uh for you know the virgin queen queen uh elizabeth first so they they developed north america the french are in north america modern-day quebec you know french canada um uh, Mm -hmm. uh, so they uh are developing you know these overseas empires um and then uh meanwhile the you know islamic empire has grown enormously ottoman empire over north africa and middle east and yeah and uh, you have china the chinese civilization uh very very advanced civilization um throughout this whole period kind of you know fluctuations you know breaking apart coming together but very very uh prosperous and advanced in terms of medicine and philosophy and all kinds of things india similar thing um i don't know too much about the details but throughout all this period they had uh countless different civilizations india is like europe it's like 50 different languages more than 50 languages but 50 big languages or something you know like huge it really is similar to europe um very large many more people than europe these days at least um and different climates different ethnicities people look black in the south you know um almost similar to aboriginal australians or um people from you know polynesians or something um and uh, then in the north, you know, people are very different. They look almost like Europeans, some of them. So um, and uh, so India, all these different civil um, civilizations developing, very, very advanced, uh, especially in terms of spirituality. It's famous for this, right? The yoga and um, Buddhism. So you have Hinduism, Buddhism, Jain, Jainism. I don't know much about that, but it's got a good name anyway. I'll give them that. Um, Sikhism later on but anyway um, and so that's developing eventually uh, all these places India is taken over by the the British eventually Um, so the English had united with the Scottish crown because there was no heir to the English throne the king of Scotland was related to them and so he was the next heir so he took over the throne of England it became one big country um, and so you have the british empire not just the english empire um and uh france te- took over you know they are all the european empires you know took over a lot of africa all of uh south america and north america south america of course mostly sport- portuguese and spanish um and even china around the ter- uh, turn of the 20th century the so nineteen hundred early 1900s um they uh there was the boxer rebellion where even they were being basically uh, the, the European powers were putting them under a lot of pressure and trying to take over. Um, but then the Japanese ended up doing that actually. Uh, and the Japanese took over, they invaded. And, you know, this would be the, in the 20th century, Chinese fought them off. Uh, mostly the communists fighting them off. And then the communists eventually took over after the civil war in China. Um, and uh, they you know, remain in power to this day, although it's not really communism anymore. It'd be more, Fascism, uh, like, not like Nazism, which is like this whole racist fascism, but like fascism as it came from Italy with Mussolini, a fusion of corporations and the state, basically, kind of capitalism, except there are these big, big corporations who are friends with the government, so it's easier for them, so it's, it's not quite competitive, it's not really balanced, you have these big mon- monopolies, um, and the government likes it that way, because they can tell them what to do, control the economy through them, and um, easy to regulate life and control um and uh also the government can always whenever they want can just nationalize stuff oh we're just going to take that from you yeah you're in jail now we own your thing or you're still the boss but we own it you know so um that would be modern as a, an aside modern china um and chinese people are great i love the chinese people i love everyone the system eh, i would say that doesn't quite feel like the best system um a topic for another podcast um Sure, there's some benefits to be having complete power over people, but I would say um, it's really not actually a great idea uh, overall. Um, so, so we have moving into the modern period. Um, European empires have taken over all the world. Basically, you get to you know uh, ninth, the 20th century, and a lot of people start asking for their freedom. In World War, so you have the Industrial Revolution, 1770 to kind of 1840-ish. Where the development of machines, beginning in England, through steam power, mostly in coal, burning coal, and with steam, you can turn motors, you can make things electricity, you can make things move, right? Um, and uh, so, was that what they're doing? We're doing electricity, or was it just steam moving wheels and making things move? I'm not sure, but um, if you have steam, you can move a, a motor, and if you've got a magnet, um, like what is it, a magnetic current going this way? uh magnetic field electrical current going that way you create a force this way at right angles to them so anyway um they started developing machines right industrial revolution the second industrial revolution like 100 years later or so um late 1800s you know up till the, the world first world war which was 1914 where it was just like another level of um more you know mechanization widespread dissemination of railways and telegraph and communications and transport technology and advancement of machine building and factories and production lines, mass production. So you have these phenomena um, kind of globalizing the world bring everything together um, and allowing more centralized control by these um, nation states which they have become rather than being kind of oh, the vague idea of the country, but it's kind of the, the king is, and the family is kind of more important practically to know actually the um, you know, soldiers are under Napoleon or whatever. Yeah, sure, they're fired up by Napoleon, um, but they're thinking about like the French Republic or the French Empire or whatever. It's this abstract idea. And they're just coming to come into the modern age of nation states um, where we have our allegiance to whatever the flag or the the, the nation rather than individual people. Um, but so World War I, um, in a nutshell, all this, you know, that's a whole other topic, What what how that began, but... Um, In a nutshell, all these European uh, royal families who are all each other's cousins um, sent millions of young men to, you know, oh, I know you've got that fiance and she's really beautiful and she really loves you. But we really think it would be better if you just got your head blown off over there. So let's do it. Here we go. That happened to like 50 million men or something. Um, There's the patriarchy at work. Stupid men always getting their heads blown off. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, there's... The truth some truth to both sides. Um, however, something uh, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of poor young men um, had to suffer in that period of history. so um, hopefully we've learned that lesson. Um, uh, so World War II then again, um, you know Japan had already begun attacking China, then you have all the stuff in Europe between you, There's a pretty good argument that um, Germany was blamed for World War I for um and yeah germany had been quite militaristic it had been a, a later empire rising when oh the whole world's been to- taken over already by all the other german all the other european states germany unified it was it was like the, the descendants of the holy roman empire it was like all these small kingdoms and then eventually in 1871 they um unified as germany under the prussians who were very very militaristic and organized um uh and so they took over you have Aust. you had the austria-hungarian empire which is the descendant from the holy roman empire but further to the south they were kind of controlling the balkans and stuff but but um but germany kind of north like modern day germany they uh, arrived on the scene and they were very they industrialized very 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 quickly and so became a rival to england and that was um you know world war one all this you know jealousy and you know um intrigue and suspicion and ambition and yada 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 so we have this war everyone blowing each other apart and then germany was blamed for that although there's a good argument i would say that everyone is equally to blame something which might be relevant to modern wars i think it's not you're right and we are (laughs) wrong wait wait wait, who says that um we're right and you're wrong and they say no we're right and you're wrong maybe you're both wrong (laughs) maybe you've both been doing bad things maybe um forgiveness is required to have any kind of peace. Um, and maybe you're more wrong than I am or vice versa, but who really cares? Why can't we just say, hey, let's let's try to, you know, um, move in the right direction? So um, now, so World War II was blamed on Germany. World War I was blamed on Germany and they had the Treaty of Versailles. They had to pay um, reparations. They had to pay enormous amounts of money to rebuild France, basically, and, you know, Belgium, et cetera. Um, where the trench warfare had been had just ravaged areas it was terrible um so germany um wasn't able they were in the post-war years they're in a really bad situation and absolutely you know disgraced and humiliated but um no matter how much they worked you know it wasn't going to be better anytime soon and you have this um you know adolf hitler um appearing on the scene saying hey this isn't fair like yeah that's what i was feeling you know and yeah, and let's uh take over the world. I mean uh, uh let's just uh re- retake our own sovereignty. That's all. Oh yeah, cool. And so you have extremism coming appearing in Germany, um, exploiting the um unfairness of the Treaty of Versailles. Um and then eventually, you know, he rearms Germany and starts expanding and having um a militaristic expansionist policy. Um and you know, look, that's obviously um, despicable. And so rightly, you know, people wanted to stop that and liberate the countries that had been um, conquered um, and had their freedom taken away. But the, the roots of it were in World War I. Um, well, I mean, it's very complicated. That's one analysis of it. Um, so, and then, you know, World War Two kind of ends and we have uh, this period of where, you know, international institutions being brought together to try to, avoid bigger wars ever again um, and you know you continue to have smaller wars here there and everywhere but um, and civil wars but that would be the nutshell coming up to the modern day so world War one was 1939 to 1945 world war World war I was 1914 to 1918 world war II 1939 to 1945 so second half of the 20th century enormous improvement uh, advances in technology and um, culture and um, which we haven't really talked about yet but Changes in culture, and and that's how things and why things change, and so that kind of brings us up to the modern day where you have Europe divided into many smaller nation states. Their empires now, you know, in the Americas, you know, in uh, and in Africa, in the 20th century, mostly they broke off and took independence. Although one might wonder whether they're still wink, wink, nudge, nudge, kind of uh under the thumb through kind of hidden financial. Arrangements and um, support for dictators through um, certain organizations or certain private relationships um, with um, the former colonial powers. Just saying, seems like some evidence for that. Um, uh, and uh, China, of course, in 1949 or so, becoming um, the communists taking power. Um, the nationalists, who were kind of, you know, fascists, essentially, um, I guess that's kind of ironic that the communists turned into. What the nationalists were, but they were, you know, kind of market, you know, based similar to the Europeans were supporting them, the nationalists in the civil war in China. Um, they were basically, yeah, you know, capitalism and um, European style, kind of, you know, trying to control, you know, create a nation, but allowing people to buy and sell stuff and you know do the normal thing. But I believe, you know, there wasn't rule of law and fairness, so they retreated to Taiwan, which was part of China at the time, and that's the whole issue now is. They uh, uh, they're descended from the uh, Kuomintang, the uh, the nationalists and the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, who had the Red Army or whatever. They um, they uh, took power and became the, the modern the um, so the People's Republic of China, right? Um, and you know then invaded Tibet and etc. And but um, otherwise have been basically where they are now. Um, and over time they turned away from communism. In the 20th century in the 70s, Deng Xiaoping, I think it was, the um, Premier of China, made a deal with, I think it was Nixon, um, you know, President of the United States, saying, okay, we'll open up this uh, was it? Um, special economic zone in the south of China, we'll open up this area where American corporations can come in and basically screw over the American workers and uh, just come here and move the, well, that's a simplistic uh, analysis, but yeah, nonetheless. Um, basically shift, shift uh, jobs off to China and um, develop things there. And so that kickstarted the Chinese economy and then they spread that idea of, okay, this was very successful um, to throughout and slowly but surely, China turned into uh, basically a fascist state, meaning um, ca- capitalism, but with um, heavy state control um, and the cultivation of uh, monopolies. So, so that the state, the political party, um, and one political party—not a democracy—can um, control the state um, while allowing the engine of capitalism to make it um, viable economically. Whereas communism hadn't been in the Soviet Union and um, Communist China, it was poverty it was terrible, and that absolutely undermined the power of these, the you know, dictators. Um, Russia in 1917 had. Um, uh, a revolution where the, the Romanovs um, were basically overthrown and murdered. um, And uh, the communists took over the civil war where the Europe, you know, the kind of European other European countries tried to re uh, reinstate the, you know, capitalist, um, not democratic, but more traditionalist society. But the the communists won that war um, and uh, they created the Soviet union, which then, You know, read uh, the Gulag Archipelago if you want to cry. Um, I haven't read it yet, but apparently that's a recipe for sadness and understanding of the dangers of communism. Um, uh, In a nutshell, yeah, I guess we can go into that in another episode regarding politics. But, um, and so that eventually fell in around 1990, 1991, yeah, Uh, I believe, yeah, late 1991, maybe October or something. The um, who cares what month, right? But um, the Soviet Union fell, um, and um, for various reasons, but probably the, the primary one being it wasn't uh, aligned with reality and wisdom. It didn't really work, um, and so then it became uh, you have basically the the mafia, the mob, kind of were running Russia for a long time, and um, kind of like similar to the fall of the Roman Empire, we have these um, local warlords. We just take over whoever's got the most guys the sticks and is best at organizing people into you know know, applying those said guys with sticks um to you know asserting control whether they're good or bad those people tended to become the new government um and so uh you have that and then you know morphing into the modern oligarchic russian state where essentially it's it's a capitalist democracy However, democracy, yeah, well, it doesn't really seem like it. it. Seems like more of a charade of democracy, um, where, or maybe democracy for um, if if it's about kind of fairly superficial issues. However, if someone wants to be running for office and changing anything really significant, um, then they're going to be plucked that little weed in the garden, as they will be perceived by the state. The oligarchs will be plucked. We don't want that growing here you're messing up our garden um look at all these beautiful palaces we're we're growing you know um and uh so uh, largely an oligarchy modern russia um meaning a small group of people have a lot of economic control and thus political control however to be fair i would say that's fairly accurate of the united states of america also um so you know uh federal reserve (laughs) holler at your boy yikes uh And, um, you know, like uh, these corporations where um, you could say it's an oligarchy. You could also say it's fairly close to fascism. Again, I love America. You know, Um, I actually, I love all these countries. I love Russia. It's very interesting. China, very interesting. Um, But uh, governments, even all the people in the government, hey, we're brothers. And the way I see it, you're my brother or sister, you know, Um, we're all just human beings. You know, we're all just souls incarnating in these bodies. And um, I don't want to judge anyone. Um, on that level, um, or reject anyone on that level and cut them off from that feeling of fraternity, how and love, um, how and ever. Uh, yeah, I do think it's very important to point out when you think systems aren't healthy. So I would say, unfortunately, America's lost its way. So now we haven't mentioned America yet. In what, 1776, they, um, so I guess just around the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. They um, broke free from British control over various reasons, but largely they just wanted freedom. And the King of England was just, you know, could go around and do whatever he wanted. With And they were like, oh, we don't really like that. And um, that basically is a society uh, of um, there's a lot of uh, land, you know, and like they had of course taken a bunch of that land from native Americans, a lot of it, they had bought from them earlier on, but then later on, once they were established, they started screwing them over pretty intense and taking over and, you know, genociding people and all kinds of stuff. Nonetheless, the 13 colonies that first became the United States. I don't know if any of them had um, what their relationships were with native Americans. I don't know if any of the crimes had been committed at that point. I'm not sure. Um, Definitely they had slaves, but everyone had slaves in the world. Um, So I think it's important. A thing we're going to talk about later, probably in a part two, because this is long enough. I did say it would be short, (laughs) but you probably didn't believe me. Ah, very wise. You knew it. Um, uh, is that, you know, an important thing with history is being aware that I think, um, that we bring our own context to bear on it when we're thinking about it, but that things are pr- improve and that's good. And the fact that we now, you know, want to tear down statues of these, you know, former heroes, I mean, I don't want to tear them down, but some people do. Um, that is in a way is a sign, it's a good sign. It's like, oh yeah, we're, we're becoming more aware of that. Yeah, that was wrong. Certain things were wrong. However, you need to be aware that in the future, people are going to do that to us. And, you know, and that's good in a way that, that they will be criticizing us because that means that will have been progress. If they weren't criticizing us, well, that would probably like, are we perfect? You really think we're perfect? That wouldn't be good either. Because then what's the point, you know, if there's no evolution, no room for growth. So the thing is, we are not perfect and people in the future, things going well, they will notice our imperfections and point them out and hopefully they won't be hating us for our flaws and hopefully they'll be have enough self-consciousness to realize they too are flawed and people in their future are going to, you know, kind of criticize and point out their flaws uh, as rightly so. So I think, you know, it's important to notice the flaws of the people in the past but also their, their virtues and to be fair and gray gracious. Um, uh, yeah, so, um, but yeah, so it was a slave owning society, although the United States, the 13 colonies, they almost um, included in the constitution, um, the abolition of slavery straight up. Um, I believe this is what, uh, um, however, I think two, one or two colonies, um, the, th- the former th- 13 colonies that became in a conspiracy, right? It uh, wasn't a conspiracy theory. It was a real conspiracy. Um, they secretly formed a new government and then broke free of the British Empire and fought a war and won. And, but two of the, I think one or two of those colonies said no in the South more. They said, no, 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 no. Like we don't agree to that. And they had all agreed in this conference. Like, look, we need to be unified if we're going to do any of this. And they came very close to losing. So imagine if they weren't as unified as they were um, and then what just the British empire just America was like the cradle for modern democracy, you know, that, that was the model and it worked really well. And so then people in Britain, were like, shouldn't we be copying them? The King's like, um, well, uh, I guess Wait, you, you want society to flourish. Don't you, your highness? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that's a cynical way to look at it, but who knows? But, um, but nonetheless, there was a minority of the, the colonies who they said, no, We don't agree and so they said we are we're only gonna um put things into this constitution if it's unanimous and so they said okay well that's very unfortunate but fine we won't include that we we won't abolish slavery and i believe that was that i believe that's the, the case i might be wrong but um so now nonetheless they became independent and then uh after and then basically i would say uh, we could go deeper into analyzing them. But up until the introduction of the Federal Reserve, um, well, there's, I mean, a lot of shenanigans going on. I don't know the details, but between the Civil war, the end of the Civil War, which was like 1860s-ish cowboy kind of era, um, maybe the cowboy era is a little bit before, um, but uh, uh, there's the war where a bunch of people in the South were like, hey, no, we're not, you know, uh, the federal government said we we're abolishing slavery people in the south said no we don't like that we're seceding we don't this is meant to be um and although i disagree with them in that i think that to some extent they do have a point in that well i don't know the details but that um america was intended to be the united states it wasn't meant to be one country it was states they were meant to be decentralized and they were saying no no like you can't tell us to do that um you can do that maybe in your own states but federally you can't do that I don't know the legal details, but either way, I, of course, I don't agree with slavery. So I'm happy that they didn't win the war. But nonetheless, they had a, a tussle there, right? They had their, their war between the North and the South over the issue of slavery. And Lincoln's, I think Mr. quoted is saying, I don't give a damn about the slaves, but I care about the Union. I want to maintain this country. Uh, allegedly, he said that. So um, now, nonetheless, they, they won and hallelujah, um, slavery is abolished. Although, you know, I th- say at that point there definitely was a lot of systemic racism and it was um through laws they managed to kind of somewhat continue the disempowerment of the african-americans um uh, these days i would say again look i'm sure there's a lot of sla- uh not slavery but um but uh, racism but i think america's made a lot of progress actually so good job for that progress um especially in the 20th century i think um the civil rights and like you know the 60s like the music and um there's a lot of awareness raised so i think you know it's moving in a good direction anyway um hopefully so now let's see so we've come up to the modern age more or less and that's probably not too you know uh, mysterious what was happening um, recently so let's see here shall we get into The details here how things change well i would say um we might um end it there and i'm going to continue this in a part two um so that was the overview of like world history right um and well no can't be done it must be because i did promise some juicy details about um certain missing information in the story okay so look why do things change how do they change uh i'm going to name some principles some factors um however uh you know some of these there's some overlap right so but nonetheless it's useful to think of it in this way so socio-cultural change or social change cultural change yeah kind of separate um uh ecological change um economic change uh military change or, um, phenomena in these categories. So, uh, of course, ecological change is some er area, you know, Africa was very, very green, uh, during Egypt, even when these pyramids were there, it's, I believe there was, there was, it was green, definitely, maybe not the modern pyramids, but, um, but possibly, but definitely a lot of the old temples, the Osirion and all this kind of stuff. Um, I'm pretty sure it's quite established that, The uh, Egypt was green when they had a lot of this advanced architecture. Can you imagine like just flowing canals and uh, you can Ramsey, that's interesting. Okay, Um, so, and Africa in general, you know, West Africa where now, or Central Africa, where it's like deserts, the Sahara Desert was lakes and grasslands, right? Um, Not that long ago, I think even 5,000 years ago, this was the case. So, um, of course, when climate changes, right? Where it gets colder. You have ice ages. We've had like five ice ages or something in his, Well, not history, but global history, right? Like including prehistory. Um, and, you know, uh, when th- suddenly things turn, start de- desertifying, maybe you're farming too much and um, not putting enough um, goodness back into the earth. And so you're starting the deserts and then that spreads, you know, because there's a, a negative feedback loop of um, it reduces the water in the uh, in the atmosphere it reduces rainfall. If you're over farm, if you keep building into the, the land that you have a lot, enough trees and animals on the land and you're actually increasing the soil, then you can increase rainfall, but people didn't know this necessarily at, throughout history. So there was man-made climate change, um, and also just natural climate change. Uh, uh, and so that caused the rise and fall of a lot of civilizations. Um, and, uh, you know, believe it seems like there's some very advanced civilization for example in like west africa like they talk about i can't remember the name but they, they've um they would talk call themselves the star people or something i think and um they uh had a lot of really advanced seeming advanced knowledge about like you know crazy kind of stuff like um astronomy or even you know uh yeah scientific sort of stuff and it's kind of so there are some mysterious there are mysteries there about that but anyway it seems like climate change might have done them in um and you know so ecological forces can cause societies to change they can you know maybe oh the old gods someone says oh yeah the old gods have failed you the new gods will help oh really okay so when these kind of crises come people can exploit them so it kind of creates an opening for novelty to emerge um also perhaps just a purification process of old culture if you had a healthy kind of way of looking at things and then it starts to kind of ossify or kind of starts to turn a bit wrong and then give some ecological challenge that might actually just kind of burn off all the nonsense and they go oh, we need to return to the real stuff and pulls the society together people align people with what's right and useful and true uh, and beautiful and good and uh so that could happen um or it could cause evolution of culture whether there's a pressure and so you have to you're forced the people are forced to try to adapt um, cult by culture, I would mean um, our ideas. Um, yeah, our ideas and uh, actions regarding what is and what ought to be. So um, you know, um, in the modern day, you could say science tells us a lot about what is, but nothing really about what ought to be. Whereas um, you know, philosophy or for some people religion would, um, or spirituality or whatever um or television uh, would (laughs) tell you how to live um and uh yeah so uh, so uh, cultural changes can come through ecological changes or people can just naturally you know stories develop oh yeah, yeah you know people work on you know ancient greek tragedy the plays oh wow it makes people think about things they talk about things and so, there's a feedback loop between art and experience, right? And art is meant to show this is what we're doing. And then people go, Oh, yeah, that is what we're doing. And we can hopefully learn something from it. Um, and it's not just for fun, but for helping us live in alignment. Um, it's an educational thing. Um, and so, um, and then we live more great, in greater alignment with harmony and truth and wisdom. And then we create new art from that gear, that higher gear. And then that feedback tells us, Oh, yeah, right. And that allows us to catapult to a higher level or if it's not done right, or if bad people take over or whatever, then maybe it goes regressive slowly down the slope, you know, um, I don't know. Um, uh, and so, uh, economic change, of course, it could be through technology, technological innovation. Um, so the kind of material culture, the way people do things, um, that could cause, you know, technological improvements can cause cultural, uh, uh, cultural change wait what i'm saying um economic yeah yeah so if people have greater wealth you can you know um more people have time to be thinking the, the ancient greeks one argument is that because of slavery you had a bunch of people who are able to just sit around and think instead of working and that's kind of caused them to you know take their culture in a perhaps a more enlightened direction um you know it's kind of crazy idea but per- perhaps there was some sort of alchemical transformation of you know the the injustice of slavery turning somehow being redeemed through to some extent at least through um you know the uh that coal being pressed squeezed in um the 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 uh the intellectual i don't know you know the the whatever uh, uh the the intellectual whatever of ancient greek civilization and you know turning into you know their quite useful and enlightened um, uh, philosophy and art and all kinds of architecture and things, which we quite appreciate. But, um, you know, I I guess they could have done it without the slavery, I would say, but it seems Egypt didn't seem to have slaves um, at least in its more advanced earlier period. Um, So I would say you don't need it, Um, but uh, definitely. But uh, so what else, why can things change? Um, So, and, you know, social, so social change cultural and social it's kind of similar but i would say um cultural culture is you know um our ideas and behavior regarding um well our ideas about what's you know right and wrong and what's true and false so what is and what ought to be um and then our behavior is kind of the manifestation of that our behavior this is our custom this is what we do that's our culture society i guess would be the imprint or the 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 fusion between the culture and the uh, nature, the ecology and including the nature of humans and just the way that human psychology works, the interplay of these things, the society is, you could say, Oh, there's a lot of inequality in society. But you couldn't say there's a lot of inequality in our culture, right? So society is somewhat more of a densification, a condensation of um, the, the culture, the more abstract thinking and acting out of those thoughts. Um, and uh thinking out of the actions uh and so yeah societies uh you know the way if you change the oh, okay we're gonna have a priesthood um or they're going to be paid or they're not going to be paid it's, you know or they're going to be wandering monks that kind of social organization can change the culture it can change the way the ideas develop um but uh largely i guess it's a, a result of the culture and the you know the nature how much food people have like What kind of climate is it? Like, what do people like to do? How do they act? Um, I guess there's a lot of mysterious interplays there. Um, uh, And technological, of course, can affect social organization. Like, you know, the invention of steam trains and cars and stuff obviously changes the way there's less um, human interaction. Like these days, you know, like um, the lockdowns would not have been possible, right, if we hadn't had such advanced technology both communications technology being able to work from home and also um you know say medical technology being able to say oh we need to just build more hospitals and 100 years ago people would have just said uh guess we better get some vitamin d and get some exercise and uh positive thinking and not freak out too much yes here are the dangers uh very serious problem problem as far as we know uh in april 2020 um maybe not in July 2020 or September 2020, but um, uh, still serious, but maybe a different kind of problem. But uh, uh, so th- this uh, technology allowed us social changes um, and throughout history, you know, technology improving has allowed, you know, th- the Roman road building technology allowed the expansion of their empire that created this kind of cosmopolitan culture where North African culture is mixing with Italian, with Greek, with British. And, yeah. You know, so there are feedback loops between these processes. Um, uh, mili- a political and military change. So the politics is basically how we uh, uh, a mechanism for um, competing and cooperating in the pursuit of um, guiding social uh, so- yeah so- social evolution or guiding our participation in history. So how how are we going to organize? Yeah, organization. Right. It's a way of um organizing society through competing uh, competition and cooperation. Um avoiding violence. That would be politics, right? Political violence is kind of really you're you're leaving the field of politics. Politics is the idea that we can kind of talk about these things. Um, if it's, if you're not talking, then that's really military activity. Um, so political violence, I guess it's kind of oxymoron, because it's basically like mili- militarism. Um, but uh, so uh, of course that feeds the political class if they get very wealthy if if the p- political class are uh, you know priests and they're really they're taking their medicine you know they're taking their magic potions uh most ancient civilizations were taking entheogens or um uh you know psilocybin mushrooms or ergot you know um or ayahuasca or blue lotus in Egypt and it seems like maybe um uh DMT and um maybe opium or i don't know oh whatever throughout history um soma there's you know um there've been these um things so if you have a priesthood that is grounded in the psychedelic experience then uh it's going to be harder for them to to um start exploiting people um there are cases like you know um the aztecs where they were taking suicide mushrooms and slaughtering tens of thousands of people on pyramids so it can, can go that way, it seems. But in general, it's um, a force for grounding the consciousness in uh, reality and lucidity and kindness. Um, so that, would be, that could have political uh, effects. Um, well, that political arrangement um, could have cultural effects, social effects, um, economic effects, um, whereas a tyranny, when that arises, can change things um, in a you know, much more uh, negative direction. Um, military stuff one person just really has a big ego wants to take over uh (coughs) Genghis Khan Genghis Khan I think apparently killed 10 10% of the people who were alive at the time is that right something like that um allegedly killed enough people that it altered was it something crazy like it altered the significantly altered the biomass of the planet or I can't remember what it is something nuts right um he's also the progenitor to like 10% of modern Mongolians or something like so that guy you know he was on a certain path um, and, you know, they can just come out of nowhere. And so that obviously changes history. Um, and you also have, you know, maybe a weak military, the Roman military getting a bit weak. If someone had maybe had the right cultural aspirations, were like, I feel this is crumbling. We should really protect this so we can continue to flourish with prosperity and art and all this stuff, rather than degenerating into some sort of barbarism um, by which you might mean a more simple animalistic um, expression of humanity where people don't have enough material comforts to expand their minds um, to the point where they touch their heart and they can um, be respectful to each other. Um, So I guess barbaric, I do believe there's such a thing as barbaric culture. It's not all equal, right? Um, Not all foods are equal, not all, Trees are as beautiful as others. They're all beautiful, not all as beautiful as each other. Um, some are more beautiful. Not all people are as interesting. Not all people are as good at football. Not all people are as wise as each other. Not all people are, um, you know, like a, a, a good, as good at languages. Can't speak any, you know, uh, Hungarian, you know. Um, so I'm at the bottom of the rung, the Hungarian. Um, and uh, <laughs> what was the original point? um so uh uh, we're saying um yes um barbarism right and so certain cultures yeah i would say you know hey it's a culture it's doing their thing but i do believe there can be unhealthy cultures you know hey that's discrimination well what about uh nazi germany isn't that kind of bad yes oh yeah right so clearly the whole point if if there's good there must be bad right um so now, and there are degrees of this. So, of course, like so, military um, change can affect these things. Um, now, um, so th- these are some ways that um, history can evolve and move forward. You have just these, just life expressing itself through, and ch- you know, small little changes, individual lives, the life of a family, the life of, you know, a community, the life of um, a city, the life of a region, the life of the country, the kingdom, empire. Um, you have these changes going on and we could talk about them, analyze them in the ways we've just talked about and they interreact and they have feedback loops, wheels within wheels, um, deals within squeals and uh, spheres within fears, within merely um, whatever. So we uh, can see like what, how things could change. You don't just have a status quo. At a very, at the base, bare minimum, nature is always changing. And so society, individuals, um, everyone, um, civilizations, all the way down to the individual level of a person, you need to be uh, adapting. You can't wear the same clothes in summer as you wear in, um, I'm wearing shorts. You don't know that, but I'm wearing shorts, you know? Um, so you've got to adapt. And so this is part of history. There are these seasons, um, these great seasons of things changing based on various factors. Um, some would even say that it's based upon uh, um, astronomical factors and that you have a great year, you've got the Kali Yuga and the blah, blah, blah Yuga, you know, the, um, based upon the precession of the equinox, I guess. And what, every 26,000 years, the earth, the wobble, the earth rotates, there's a slight wobble in the rotation of the earth. So where north is pointing isn't always in the same direction. The, where north points actually draws a circle over a period of 26,000 years, 25,800 or something like that. Uh, it's called the great year um if you're interested look up randall carlson talking about this and sacred geometry and um yeah the procession of the equinox or graham hancock's work he talks about it a lot uh where are his books here yeah. with uh two books i think um anyway um so uh and some people would say that the energetic imprint like everything's connected vibration wise right modern physics agrees with this right everything um so you have a, a snapshot if you imagine a slice cross-section of the universe you know like, like let's say the fourth dimension let's say it's time that's one understanding of it i believe um uh you know i'm here i'm here i'm here so if you're watching youtube you can see my face moving comically but um so or if you're just listening and you hear my voice either way i'm not doing all these things simultaneously but all of those things exist in history. Um, so that you could say is kind of like a line of this and then that and that. So time is kind of like the fourth dimension. The third dimension is being expressed in slices now, 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 now. And so um, uh, some people would argue that uh, the, the cross section of that process, the slice of time when you were born um, or when even throughout when you live, but that um, the configuration of planets and stars and things, all the, the vibration and energy and interrelations of them, especially when you're uh, factor into it that um, they there's good reason to think they are conscious. These, these are conscious entities, even if you think they're not conscious entities. Um, And I don't know they are, but it seems to make sense to me Um, uh, upon. (laughs) uh, Yeah. A reflection. Um, So, but even if they're not, you know, vibration wise that is affecting you, right? There's a different vibrational harmony or um, or overlaying of vibrations um, and fields at that time compared to other times so some people would say that this also affects thinking behavior health all all kinds of things um and that part of history the seasons of history are also built upon the um the stars and the movements of the stars so chew on that one huh i guess uh, i I still am you know um i think i should have got my mummy bird to chew it up a bit more for me it's kind of kind of overwhelming sometimes these delicious yet challenging chunks of gnosis um so yeah okay now uh so we're talking about history i gave you the overview very brief overview of what has happened in known history um and then now we just talked about why things change um you know um and the various ways to understand it um and of course i guess i just quickly cap that off by mentioning of course on the individual level we we're animals which have um, evolved with uh, avoidance mechanisms and approach mechanisms. Oh, that's good. I want it. Go get it. Oh, that's bad. Run away from that. Um, or even if it's an approach thing, of like, oh, this thing is bad. I must kill it. You know, should I run away? No, I think I need to kill this thing now. So there's even that is approach, right? But you go to it. Um, so this is based. You know, the, the animals that didn't have these things didn't evolve, right? That this is. Um, or even if you think that there's a some uh, hyper intelligent um, energy guiding evolution, I think probably there is actually, to be candid. Um, but even if there weren't, right, it would make sense that, um, or even if there isn't, um, it would make sense that they're just the organisms which don't have that are not going to thrive and um, they're going to be outcompeted in the gene pool. Um, so this is our basic reality. This is how the uh, biologically how we work. Um, so. In the modern day in history or just throughout history people want things that you know um their mind or their body or their emotions um consider and interpret to be good and they you know avoid things that they think are bad and so on a basic level you have humans doing this and um then that influences what families are doing there it could be dramas if someone wants this someone else doesn't want it because have got different interpretations you kind of got these wars of interpretations and um, ambitions and uh, desire and avoidance, you know? Um, and meanwhile, consciousness, just chilling watching everything or, or sleeping through it um, from every angle which is very interesting. Um, but you still got the family and then that's going to determine what the family does as a whole. Does the family invest in this? Does the family stay together? Does the family create this thing? Do they all go to this party? Or, so you have these individual consciousnesses um, in the groups of a family or a, fr- a circle of friends where it can generate outcomes, kind of almost a, a democratic thing, voting almost, in the the overall flow of um, uh, action and motivation. And so they combine, you have all these things out there in the world, you have individuals, but also the groups, which are the kind of, the, su- um, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, but these kind of like, you know, uh, epiphenomenal epiphen- um, agents, right, of groups. And then uh, you also have, you know, so on upward, right? Like reverse turtle move, you know, or so on upward. Uh, you've got uh, groups of groups, you know, and, you know, uh, why is Russia, uh, why is the Russian military attacking uh, Ukraine and, you know, the Ukrainian military uh, and, you know, potentially the Ukrainian people? I don't really uh, know the details, but you'd have to assume um, it's happening at least part of the time. Um, but, the, the, you know this terrible situation uh why is that happening is it just putin is it just one person uh or is it also groups of groups you know and groups with their motivations what do people mostly want some people like no this feels wrong other people like well i don't know for this reason i think we should and then the overall you know maybe one group says overall most people like no 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 we're protesting we're not, not doing this and then the other group of groups is like are we going to persecute them or we're we just going to let it happen but then that's going to Tumble up our whole plans and uh then so you have these different levels of kind of like wheels within wheels like um, individuals circles of individuals circles of circles and they're all kind of got their biologically ingrained mechanisms of avoidance and approach um, and so we have this flow of energy of what's happening and it's all kind of just pulsing out from the blissful heart of uh, God no is it not let me know in the comments um, uh not you god i know you know what's going on i mean like the uh god uh uh, as you were expressed through individuals who may be skeptical you know what i mean yeah okay good good great great to know we're on the same book i mean page or line um now so okay moving on there so uh biases so when we're studying history so now we've talked about the overview and then uh why and how things change. but when we're studying history, we need to be aware um, there are a few problems. So one is biases. People have biases uh, or biases. Um, they are biased. They, you know, again, they want some things. They don't want other things. And this can affect your honesty with yourself and with others. So, uh, oh, I want to have my little, I have this beautiful farmstead, homestead thing. Got a lovely wife and family and it's really you know, i've found the peace i've always been looking for and i didn't have with my parents or whatever blah, blah blah whatever some hypothetical situation of some chap in you know 1620 and but the thing is the king really wants me to write this biography of some guy from 200 years ago um, and to make him look like a bad guy because his descendants are his political enemies now so i need to kind of smear his whole family and he's telling me to burn these other books he's turning me, telling me to ignore the, the, the books that are in circulation that I can't burn. I have to just ignore them and whatever. This kind of stuff would happen all the time because the king wants something and he thinks it's fair enough to lie and bend the truth, you know. Um, and uh, he's not trying to do a bad thing. He, he's by definition approaching what he thinks is good in his interpretation. But there's a different interpretation, which is, well, no, the truth is the most important thing. You should just follow the truth and not be a dick, you know? Um, so, um, and what is that guy going to just go, well, okay, I guess I'm just going to get the king angry at me. And then I lose my whole family, beautiful family situation. Or I'm just going to go with the flow and go, Hey, history's long and interesting. It's only 1620. Ugh, you know, I'm just going to let it go. So and then now you could be reading that book and going, Oh, wow. That's what happened. Huh? Like we don't know, there's bias now and there's been bias throughout history. So, um, and then even, so you got bias where people are lying to you, lying to to others and then also lying to themselves, right? Trying to like repressing stuff or subconsciously um, lying to themselves. Um, So, you know, people might say, oh, the king's legit. Even if he wasn't asked to, some biographer might just be madly, you know, zealously, and um, ideologically possessed, and want, you know, no, the king is good, you know. I, um, and the idea that the king is actually not really what you think he is might be too much to take for that person's psyche at that point. Because then, if they're wrong about that, what else are they wrong about? And whatever, you know, could just threaten the structures of their mind. And so they just, you know, might subconsciously be biased. So when you're reading history, you're reading documents, A, we don't have a lot of the documents. So many of the documents have just not survived which is a really crazy thing we think uh, okay i guess we'll get to that in a moment but when you're reading these documents you need to be aware who is writing it uh what is their motivation do they have other motivations like is there any bias here um and like when was it made who was it made by who was it made for you just need to try to think of as many questions as you can and go okay what's actually going on here and then read okay what other versions of the story are there and usually rather than trying to outsmart the, the writer, which is you know kind of fighting an uphill battle there, um, uh, go, okay, well, what other books are there on this thing and look up? And in general, I think even current affairs, what's going on in the news, I go, okay, this is what you know, uh, corporate controlled legacy media says, okay, could be true. could not be true. There's definitely a lot of lies um, and a lot of, uh, if we were to be charitable, say um, mistakes. I feel like there's a lot of lies definitely make a lot of money being real you know there's definitely i would say a lot of lies in there too um but there's misperceptions we could call them both just um uh inaccurate information right um okay this could be real or it could be one of those inaccurate things let's look at other sources just read different articles and stuff and you'll start to notice oh everyone agrees on this that's interesting people who disagree on other stuff they all agree on this okay it's probably true then that thing or ooh. They disagree. You said this, but then later you contradicted yourself. Oh, you contradict yourself again. Hmm. No smoke without fire. Uh, let's check out some other sources. This person seems a bit off. Um, just by reading lots, you know, like basically um, we can start to note the pattern recognition, which is inherent in our highly evolved brains, being the survivors of the survivors of the survivors of history. Uh, that pattern recognition starts to come online and you start to notice, mm, you get it, start to get a picture of what's actually happened. Um, happened. And so this goes for now. It also goes for history. Um, Of course, many people don't have the time or interest or, um, you know, what have you for uh, investigating things this deeply. That's why traditionally we had historians. Problem these days is many historians are part of a centralized system where it's very hard to get into there um, uh, if you're going to be honest, which I guess is probably been common throughout history. But um, as we've just mentioned, but um, nonetheless, uh, that is a, a problem. But there is some sort of yin and yang give and take to that. But um, uh, where you know, I suppose the historians accept that maybe certain things they can't talk about. But nonetheless, that is why we have professionals. And, um, but speaking of some professionals who are you know amateur professionals, professional amateurs, professional amateurs, that sounds like a, a, a better title. Um, uh, Daniele Bolelli. Daniele Bellelli, uh, History on Fire podcast, incredible. Um, Dan Carlin, hardcore history, the godfather of the genre. I believe Daniele Bellelli was like <laughs> joking about how he had to go, you know, almost like a mafia sort of thing, like to get, per- yeah, he, he felt like he wanted to ask permission from Dan Carlin because he was the kind of originator of that kind of history podcast thing. And the, it, but either way, I'm sure there's other people doing it too. Um, but you can learn a lot from you know, podcasts and there's a lot of, professional amateurs these days who are really um, you can supplement get you still get your history from the professional professionals like in academia but when you're looking for other sources all these history podcasts there's a lot of people who have no dog in the game they're not part of that structure and so they're able to um, be more honest and maybe they're wrong maybe they're right but it's a good idea to listen to them and then you can start to figure out you know get the pattern recognition going similar thing to how in the media you have people like joe rogan or russell Brand or um what do you call it like uh, breaking points like or um whatever you have different shows where they're kind of not they're independent they're not affiliated with some big um, bureaucracy so they can supplement they have their own perspectives and so it's healthy to kind of go between them check them out so let's see here um yeah so i guess that's about that um so here we go juice Prepare for a tall glass of truth juice um, or controversy juice. So, the lost civilization hypothesis. Um, or shall we say that just the lost civilization? So, we're going to talk about the evidence for um, the presence of a lost civilization of prehistoric antiquity. So, basically, a very old civilization, an advanced civilization that existed before Sumer, egypt india china right um or you know of course i think like the the, the aztecs um the, we didn't even mention but like in uh, america you had um you know the maya um very old civilization and you know the inca etc and um Chavin in the they've realized this is crazy they've realized they with lidar technology they're able to scan like the the amazon um, the forest, the Amazon rainforest, and they've scanned it, and they've realized um, under h- huge areas they found thousands of cities, ruins of cities, which they wouldn't have found otherwise. It's covered by jungle. Who's going to notice it? Um, uh, the jaguars don't care. They're you know eating DMT rich leaves and rolling around the floor like kittens, and you know the caimans are trying to dodge the jaguars and going you know swimming about. You know the birds are in the trees, they don't notice, but uh, basically we've um, we found uh, thousands uh, at least hundreds but i think even thousands of cities uh all through the the amazon um uh, a lot of them kind of like southwest i think kind of near the andes mountains um but uh where basically they've been abandoned and so it seems like there was a huge ancient civilization there and what one theory is that originally european explorers going up the amazon they said well there are like, you know, city after city after city. Like you, the, you're leaving one city, you're going down the river in this huge advanced city, cos, you know, Cosmopolitan city or whatever. And then you've barely, it's barely out of sight before you start seeing the beginning of another city. And so there's just all these cities everywhere. Um, there's big well-paved roads going into the hinterland, into the, like, the forest. And so it seems like there's some huge civilization. Europeans came back like 50 years later or hundred years later um, to check it out. And there was no one. Oh, these people were lying to us—tricky, sneaky, lying historians—and uh, oh, it was just it was just a myth. It wasn't re- re- true. Um, it seems what actually happened is uh, disease or something, maybe uh, climate change over over agriculture, but you know, potentially disease um, wiped out you know everyone, and then uh, the forest just reclaimed everything. Even in Detroit these days, right? There's areas where, you know, was financial crash and, you know, oligarchs kind of (laughs) robbing the country and whatnot. Um, And, uh, you know, um, uh, Detroit has had a very hard time Um, and um, it had been one of the biggest um, manufacturing cities of the USA. And now it's, you know, a shell of its former self. Although I believe there's some good news of, you know, kind of hipsters moving in and stuff and trying to, you know, and renovating and, you know, cheap land and rebuilding. So that cycle is repeating. It seems life, uh, the Phoenix rebirth Um, things collapse. Oh, cheap land. People who haven't haven't got much, uh, they're the lower end of the social rung, uh, social ladder somewhere else. They move there and they can be the top of the new thing that they build. Um, And then property prices get more expensive. Okay. More, you know, affluent people move in oh i could i kind of fit in here and then it goes up again and even more affluent people oh i kind of fit in here and then maybe somewhere else is falling apart and the new hipsters move there to right um but uh in detroit you have areas where this house has been abandoned for like five years and it's just utterly overrun by nature the trees just take take control like nature is incredibly fertile would you believe and just powerful at taking over so um some uh, island off the coast of japan or in the pacific where they it was just for mining they had it was like the densest settlement of humans ever i think they had all these huge you know apartment buildings etc just for housing the workers on this very small island an oil rig or something like that and then they abandoned it at some point and now it's just it's almost totally just obliterated by you know nature and vines just destroying everything and the winds crash smashing the glass and all kinds of stuff so um potentially the amazon was also had featured a huge civilization which just vanished um so that's pretty crazy right these things happen in history um so but the lost civilization so this is what not what we're talking about this would be later that, that civilization there basically i read a book uh called um uh well fingerprints of the gods first by graham hancock uh, if you want an introduction to this, a great way to do it is just go and watch Joe Rogan's interviews with Graham Hank, Graham Hancock. So um, uh, yeah. And uh, then some of the later ones they have Randall Carlson joining um, the venerable Randall Carlson, um, but they're both great people. And it was really eye-opening and um, blew my mind. And I, so I got the Graham Hancock's book, first book, and then I got another book and another book. Um, basically he details um, and I, I keep an open mind. I think there's nothing to lose by keeping an open mind. It's actually essential. So I'm open to the possibility that some of it, or even a lot of it, I struggle to believe that. But just as an exercise of uh, humility and caution, I keep my mind open to, even to the idea that most of it or all of it's wrong. Maybe there's some other explanation, you know? Um, but uh, practically, I find it very persuasive um, that this, the, the things um, Graham talks about in these books... But basically, he's a former journalist, right? He was, you know, East Africa correspondent for like The Economist and whatever. You know, he's probably a normal mainstream journalist. And then um, he started getting interested in historical mysteries and things that aren't quite known. And, um, and so that led him down this rabbit hole of the lost civilization. And so he, uh, along with, you know, there are many other researchers in the field, but he's probably the, the best known for advancing this hypothesis, um, building upon the work of John Anthony West and Robert Schock, we'll talk about in a bit and some other things so here's the nutshell uh in a nutshell right um the uh there is uh, so robert shock and okay first the mystery of the maps this is how so fingerprints of the gods begins with this um this uh and it's talking about the evidence for earth's lost civilization so there are these maps from 1500 you know kind of medieval era late medieval era maps uh the Puri Reese map there's a Arontius, Phineas map or something like that. There's a few, a half dozen, dozen, I don't know, maps, which show Antarctica. Antarctica was only discovered in 1800 by modern Europeans. Um, and they, there's also certain islands, which, well, wait a minute, that was discovered, at least one island, I think, in near South America, which was discovered after um, the, uh, the map was uh, drawn. And um, there's a high Brazil, an island off the coast of Ireland, is on one of the maps. It's actually underwater. There is a, a landmass there, but it wasn't above water. It's far, far below water. So no one would know it was there um, until you know, a long time ago was when it was above water. But Antarctica, especially, let's just focus on that. And it shows some of them show the subglacial topography of Antarctica. So underneath the ice, what it looks like. So someone was mapping this either with advanced technology or they did it before the ice was at its current level. And ice has fluctuated over time, right? Um, the, the, the last ice age ended 12,000 years ago, basically. Um, so the, um, the end of the Younger Dryas era. So um, it's, so this is quite a conundrum. Like how, how does that make sense? We have these maps. We know that they're there and it's got, it just doesn't seem to make sense. One final detail is they show knowledge of advanced geometry. Um, uh, the problem of longitude was not solved until like 1818 or something by John Harrison. Um, he was a clockmaker, I think, or, or he, was some, he was a British guy. And the King of England, they put out a prize like, look, if anyone can solve the problem of longitude, which is the, the horizontal aspect of a map, right? Like um, sailors were crashing into rocks all the time and dying because they thought, oh, we're one day away from land and then in the middle of the night they just crash into the rocks they were much closer they didn't realize they weren't able they were able to ju- judge latitude by the stars like the vertical north south aspect but not east west um and so um this guy invented something like the chronometer some sort of thing you can keep on your ship and you can notice the difference between the time from when you left and where you are now um and so you could figure out where you are and they were able to make much more accurate maps with that also these old maps have knowledge of the of perfect longitude. That was and these for like 300 years before that problem was solved this doesn't make sense right there's something we're missing now these maps were said by the people who made them to be uh based upon many many source maps like maps which were falling apart um and so uh you know like 100 years old some of them potentially from the library of alexandria in egypt um, just you know by the coast of uh, in the very north of egypt in the nile delta which was the biggest library in the world for a long time. They used to, they used to take, you know, people would come there for trade and stuff as well to Alexandria and soldiers would come into the, and go, okay, we need to search your ship for books. And then if they, I, I believe that's what they did. <clears throat> and if they found books, they'd go, okay, how long are you here? Okay. You'll have them returned before you leave, but um, we need to copy these because we don't have th- these books. And so the books that they didn't have, they would take them, copy them, give them back to people. And so that they would build up the biggest library ever um, that oh, in the modern era modern in uh, history right um the historical era classical era so um but not, point being these maps um one was made by a turkish admiral and other by these people they um were based upon older source maps um so it seems like potentially some very very old maps contained um a memory perhaps from egypt right um of uh naval exploration from a, a previous age because somehow these stuffs are there. You can look it up in Google. You can see, or the internet, I should say, um, and you can see it now. So that's one thing. Okay, interesting. Now, a second mystery is the Sphinx. There is water rainfall erosion on the Sphinx. Like all the geologists, they they all agree. There was this guy Robert Shock, who's a geologist from Boston University, um, and uh, John Anthony West, who the, the late great John Anthony West, um, who pioneered. You know, like uh, picking up in the research of. R.S. Schwala de Lubic, the genius with the unpronounceable name. <laughs> That's what he always called him. Um, John Anthony West called him that. Um, but yeah, this, so this guy did an in-depth study of like Egyptian temples and was like, oh, my God, there's all these secret meanings to the temples. Um, and picking up on the traditions of that, they were listening to ancient Egyptians themselves who said, we, the reason we're so amazing, we didn't just make this ourselves. We are the inheritors of a legacy. Egypt is not a development. It's a legacy we were founded by the refugees from a a lost civilization that perished under the waves. Um, And uh, so that's what the ancient Egyptians said themselves. And then we are like, ha, yeah, sure. You know, like we know better than them, you know? Um, So, and picking up on this stream of esoteric history, um, Shvala de Lubitz and John Anthony West, and to, uh, and so John Anthony West and Robert Schock, they studied the Sphinx and said, look, look at all this, this erosion. Um, I think jonathan west showed a picture of it to shock and was like what kind of erosion is this and he said oh it's water for sure you can see it's like wobbly it's not like wind erosion and he said, where is this from i think this is how it happened he said oh the the great sphinx (laughs) He's like huh but you there's been very little rainfall in the in the in egypt for thousands of years so either look before the historical era Either there was an enormous amount of rain before the historical era or else normalish rain for even longer before the historical era. Um, And the Sphinx was there already. So someone had built this thing Um, and he showed, you know, they showed it to other geologists, like almost all of them, if not all of them uh, agreed. And so geology was like, oh my God, this, yep, this is definitely the case. It's rain, rain erosion egyptology who were all invested with their egos and their narratives and what they've been teaching and we know what we're doing you know um they were all uh not to mention the political ramifications of what that could do if people go wait a minute well changing your worldview people generally oh, don't think about it but there's a political element too. keeping things simple right for the population um so uh the um not to say that's the main thing but you know but, um so the geology profession, um, the academics, they all said, yeah, this is rainfall erosion. Um, the Egyptologists were saying, no, no, that's not possible. It doesn't make sense. And so they kind of had a little battle, right? Um, Graham Hancock picked this up and goes, okay, and this is in the book, Fingerprints of the Gods. And he talks about that and it's also some other things. But there's a, a lot of other smaller details, which, but they're the, ju- the juiciest low-hanging fruit. If you want more, go check out the books. Um Magicians of the god, but okay. Then people were saying, "Ha ha ha!" You know, how could this be ten thousand years old? Um, oh, also, I think ten thousand-ish years ago, the um, the constata- constellation of Leo passed in front. So the Great Sphinx points east. So at dawn on the uh, spring equinox, the sun rises um, above the Sphinx. Um, I believe that's how it happens. Um, so it looks like it's the, the Sphinx is looking right at it at the moment. it's some other um, constellation, which the sun is in the, a different constellation, a different house, because of that twenty-six thousand year cycle, procession of the equinox. But um, about ten thousand years ago, uh, the Leo was the age of Leo, so the sun was rising in Leo, and the Sphinx is like a lion. So that's interesting. It's another detail. Okay, so now people like, well, you know, where is all the evidence of this civilization? People said, well, you know, look, t- ten thousand years—that's a long time. You know, what would be left except for a few bits of stone? Like everything, you know be obliterated They're like yeah, yeah, yeah whatever um they you know is generally scorned um and um you know ridiculed then um more recently uh gebekli tepe has been discovered so uh which is in southern turkey and it is they've dated it carbon dated it to 12,000 i believe 12,800 years ago and it is 50 times the size of stonehenge it is the first Example of monumental architecture that we are aware of in history, um, and it appears in a time when we were all saying cities won't appear for another five thousand years. It's like wait, so seven thousand, I think seven thousand years before the conventional beginning of cities was the previous timeline that I was telling you about. At the beginning of this podcast. I hope you followed it to this point to find out the truth, um, and. So and they intentionally filled it in. It seems because all the organic matter close to the top and close to the bottom is all the same. So it's all the same time. And so they found it was like a hill. It means pot-bellied hill, Gebekli Tepe. So G O B E K L I space T E P E Gebekli Tepe. Um, and um, and they've just found another one near it now, very recently, and started begun excavating it, called Karahan Tepe. And it seems the same thing. Huge structures, um, very advanced um, architecture and carvings of constellational things. It's it's oriented to like you know this constellational um, astronomical alignments in it, like just like Stonehenge and you know the pyramids and the Sphinx, etc. So how did hunter gatherers have time to be doing this? That's ridiculous. You know they're hunting. They're trying to just survive. You know how that seems utterly inconceivable, um, and. So that's the thing, and like, okay, that's very interesting. So that now means why? Why couldn't the Sphinx be the same age? Now, um, the there's a now one final thing which look so. Um, Atlantis. Here we go. Here's where we're going. Now we don't know what they call themselves, but it seems. And again, I'm not trying to convince anyone of anything, and I'm not, um, you know, I haven't drunk any Kool Aid. I'm not uh, subscribed to any ideology. Like I need to believe in it. Just following facts and implications to the best of my ability um uh, so the story of atlantis uh, was taken seriously as fact until the mid 1800s i think and then history like there are there are fashions within history it goes back and forth like everything you know um like most things um uh and so uh, it was. It was. There was a change where it was started to be treated as there was some papers saying, "Oh, it's not possible geologically. It couldn't be possible. There's no island in the Atlantic." So it was okay. It was kind of scorned and fell out of fashion. Um, more recent evidence um, seems to point out that actually, it, it is possible geologically that there was a land. There do, There was a landmass there. It seems in the, around the Azores. Uh, it seems like that was at higher above sea level, and it would have been like a, a you know substantial very fertile, um, large island and group of islands. Um, the Gulf Stream was going around it, so it would have been very warm and temperate during the Ice Age. So it seems that we don't, it was at Atlantis, who knows, right? But that's like an island. So that's one thing. It turned out a favor upon a false premise that it wasn't geologically possible. And then way leads to way. People read the books. Ah, who's going to really go really, really deep into checking, you know, for certain that it was impossible. Apart from Randall Carlson, you can... There's a video on um, uh, I think how tube which is like a, a YouTube kind of thing but you know maybe a bit more cool <laughs> uh, uh, how tube uh, where you can see um, if you want details of that it's very interesting Randall Carson has it's like 33 bucks and it's like a six hour lecture going into the details of the geography and stuff the geology and why making the case for why it's called uh, Plato's Atlantis back to the source and um, it's talking about weaving the geological evidence and what I'm about to tell you now, a summary of what um, the story of what Plato so uh, told us about, this is where we get the story of Atlantis, because 500, as Graham points out in his books, there are like hundreds of cultures all around the world have a story. We, humans were extremely advanced, and then um, we were destroyed and uh, fell from grace and had to rebuild like children with no memory of what went before. Graham calls us a species with amnesia, which is, I think, a very... Uh, you know pretty powerful line there so but um one particular version of the story is uh it's referred to as atlantis that's just one of the versions right and this comes to us through plato who's so much uh, who's incredibly respected you probably know in the intellectual tradition of the west um and so you know incredible reputation no reason to lie he talked in the uh, Tine, tineus and Critias, or Critias and tineus I think is the thing where we have this story, and that you know there's a dialogue between people, um, and basically it's I think Socrates, is, who's Plato's teacher, Socrates is talking to Critias, the younger, um, and uh, you know, and then uh, basically Critias the younger says, "Look, I got this story from Critias the elder, who's his granddad or something." who got it from Dropidus, who got it from solon the greek lawmaker some lawmaker in um ancient greece um who solon had gone to egypt so this was like maybe a few hundred years before um plato or something like this um the dates are recorded um but uh i can't remember them he went to egypt and they told him the priests in the um the temple saying told him this story like um we are the inherit the ref, we were founded by the refugees from a destroyed civilization of great um advancement um it was sunk beneath the waves you know um for basically we got too big for our boots turned against the gods whatever got arrogant you know became tyrants and misused our power and we were destroyed um the divine will turned against us something like that and um uh you know solon's like holy shit man uh when did this happen and the priest says 9,000 years ago. Imagine anyone telling you they have like a, a personal story, of what humans were doing 9,000 years ago. And so he gets this story and this was um, BC, right? This is like 500 BC or something, you know, BCE. Um, so if you put those times together from that story, the priest saying 9,000 years ago, that, from that Solon and then Solon down to Plato and then from Plato we know when he was writing to us now it is uh like 12,800 years ago more or less um and it just so happens we now know from modern science that sea levels rose by 100 meters at exactly that time 12,800 years ago uh so that's quite a coincidence if plato's story she got you know somehow he just knew that sea levels had risen at exactly that time 12, you know 10,800 BC or whatever it is um that's pretty unlikely and when you add in the maps the sphinx gobekli Tepe, hmm what seems more likely you know more than the 50 percent likely you know it needs to be looked into and it is being looked into and this is the revolution that's coming to history um and in, by the way as a little side note to round that off so plato in this in this um uh story plato's telling i think three times in the course of the story which is a lot that's very repetitive they, they, they make the point of saying that this is true. It's, it, it's not a story. It's not a myth. It is, in fact, truth. Very, you know, they, they say this three times, at least twice. I think pretty sure three times. Um, so, you know, that's very interesting, right? Um, so, and of course, you know, there are underground ruins, you know, in, uh, between the Sicily and mainland Italy, which are like, you know, the, the sea level to be, build them. The sea level hasn't been that low in a long, long time. And there's this kind of thing all over the place around the world. So it seems like there's good evidence to think that we have lost um, knowledge of civilization. Now, how would that happen? Well, um, as in Magicians of the Gods, which was released 20 years after Fingerprints of the Gods, Graham Hancock talks about, um, addresses this. And then modern research, the Comet Research Group, these modern sci- these scientists recently have been studying, it seems most likely some sort of... Uh, extraterrestrial impact occurred around 12,800 years ago Um, so a comet meteor something like this hit or actually it seems like a breakup of um uh, a giant comet from before like um so there's a stream of you know smaller comets um earth passes into the torrid meteor stream twice a year um which is something to think about we really need to unify and protect ourselves because this is still a threat now we need to really um stop fighting each other and start get organized and Find a way to mine these asteroids and make sure they don't just obliterate us and send us back to the Stone Age. But um, twice a year, it's like crossing a highway blindfolded. Someone has said, I think Graham Hancock. Um, uh, You know, we're just lucky we don't get hit um, to date. You know, and but it seems we did get hit uh, 12,800 years ago. Um, This is the evidence of the Comet Research Group. They found nano diamonds and you know um, uh, certain types of glass and you know platinum and stuff. These deposits in the Earth which only occur from nuclear explosions or you know, comet impacts, something like this, right? And um, basically it seems like uh, there was these impacts over the North American ice sheet and part of the European ice sheet, um, and it just caused an enormous liquefaction of the ice poured into the Atlantic, huge floods, huge rivers. Um, there's, uh, Grand, um, Randall Carson does a great job talking about, um, and I'm sure many other people, but these are the kind of researchers I've been more, most drawn to and... Um, educated by um, huge canyon areas, like in the you know Pacific Northwest of America, where there's clear evidence, um, according to you know geologists, that uh, this was an enormous river flowing, and so you had these huge rivers flowing um, through the land, and it all pouring water also pouring into the oceans, the Atlantic Ocean, um, from these impacts, and you know this hence sea levels went up by like hundred meters, the ice age. Um, it triggered the end of the ice age like permanent kind of change in the, the, um, the ecosystem of the earth. And so the temperature change um, because uh, in, and, and you know, the white continental wildfires, like um, this is also, it seems why the, the woolly mammoth and, you know, safe tooth tiger. And in America, they're the American lion this huge, like horse sized lion, well, even bigger. I think all these, there are many, many uh, megafauna mass extinction of megafauna. A lot of them are in the middle of eating and, they found we found them. Um, some of them were found them dead, they were like in the middle of like eating, and it wasn't like they were hunted, right? They were like just chilling, and then suddenly they're dead. So, anyway, there's a lot of evidence to think that some sort it seems most likely there was a, an extraterrestrial impact which um triggered the um the end of the ice age or the younger Dryas period, I suppose. Um, and uh, that this triggered the end of this um advanced civilization, which then potentially. Went around the world and um, kind of sowed the seeds of restarting the process of civilization, and here we are. And if we were unfortunate enough to be blown apart by some sort of catastrophe, what would people remember of us? You know, how much of you know our stuff would still be here in ten thousand years? Um, there's a fair chance that certain people would manage to survive, and they would recruit hunter gatherers and say please help us survive. We've lost control of our food system. Our stores are running low. We, we don't know how to survive on our own anymore, but we have a lot of skills we can teach you. And there would be emerging and a reboot of civilization. So that's uh, in a nutshell, the lost civilization hypothesis, um, which I think has a lot going for it. Now um, let's see here. Yeah, uh, okay. So looking forward, I think, uh, I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff. I guess we will probably get into that in another podcast, but I think there's a lot of very optimistic, uh, there's a lot of science for great optimism um, in what's happening in the world. There's a lot of science for pep- pessimism and a lot of problems, a lot of tyranny rearing its head and censorship and totalitarianism and I- ideological capture, people being unwilling, unfortunately, to entertain ideas which um, they don't agree with, which is... but. Um, and so i suppose uh uh we can, that can be addressed later but it seems you know history is not finished it's still we're in the, history is eternal you go, it's a river um and uh it continues to flow and um it's why oh, why should you care about history well the present is totally affected by history um even from just you know what we're talking about now you can see many things where it's why is stuff happening now because of stuff that happened a long time ago a lot of it um and uh you you know to understand where you are and where you're going which is probably what you want and you need to know where you've been right um and where um uh, you've been has been whatever that means so i think uh but looking forward i think um the i'm very optimistic um despite but i think it's probably going to get a lot worse unfortunately um probably talk about that in some other podcast, but I, I do think um we've got some problems coming up. Um and uh um you know if you're interested in specific things, okay, you can ask me, you know, reach out to me on social media, um, and I'll can, happy to have a conversation. But um but uh but I think overall there's a rising of human consciousness and um that we're I would say we're in the birth canal and it's painful and squishy, but we're about to be born a beautiful world and mother earth shall be smiling down upon us father sun beaming and uh we will grow into a whole new era and i think we can grow to be a conscious global civilization leveraging the best of modern technology and the best of ancestral wisdom and um the traditions of freedom which have somewhat been forgotten um and uh connection to nature um and have the best of both worlds and uh then we'll be looking back at this as an incredibly interesting point in history i believe um so that's it for now um so i'll leave it there <laughs> it took a bit longer than anticipated but hey history took longer than anticipated maybe um and uh this is i've enjoyed this little micro slice of history and uh, i hope you can it has been and is An enjoyable um, part of your little stream of history, which we have, which, you know, is the last uh, however long we've been going, two hours, I don't know. So, um, and going forward, I think being the future, be the change you want to see in the world, you know. So, you want a good future? Be the future. Be the future you want, right? Of course, be it now. Um, And so that's it. I think history really is the. The the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. That's true. There's these feedback loops, as we talked about. But ultimately, it all comes down to consciousness. Only those who are present have an impact um, upon the automatic flow of momentum. And so wake up, my fellow wizards and uh, witches, uh, and uh, yeah, apply the, the magic of your free will. And let's uh, let's uh, enjoy, let's surf the wave of history and try not to get dumped too often. And uh, have some fun. All right, much love. See you next time.